I was in the handicap-equipped Dodge van my friend left me along with the house. It was barely roadworthy anymore, but I'd left my F-150 in a glass shop parking lot with a note taped to the steering wheel. No sun today. Thick gray mugginess instead, the kind where you hope it'll rain soon, but it doesn't. I watched townies go in and out of dots. At ten past, I called Fig's cell. I got no answer, left voicemail. At twenty past, I dug through my wallet and found the scrap of placemat Fig had given me. For an address, he'd written only Jut Road, no house number. He'd said it was on a river. The river had to be the Sohegan. It defined Rourke and all the nearby towns. You couldn't miss it. I fired up the van and tracked the same road I'd used yesterday to follow Fig, looking to my left more carefully this time. Finally, came to a dirt road I hadn't noticed before. There was no street sign, but it seemed a little too wide and a little too tamped to be a driveway, so I turned and eased down a steep hill, hearing the river before I saw it. I cut hard right, felt scrub oaks scraping both sides of the van, and popped into a clearing. Fig's car and the beginnings of a big timber frame house told me I'd found Jut Road. As I parked next to an outbuilding, I checked out the dream house in progress, or formerly in progress. I'm no contractor, but the skeleton told a story. First, I saw it wasn't genuine timber frame construction. It was a hybrid, impressive old rough-cut timbers at its center where they'd be visible in the house's public spaces, but conventional two-by-four framing for the outside walls. When finished, the house would seem like a genuine timber frame job, unless you knew what to look for. But deep down, it'd be a dime-a-dozen stick-built house. I half-smiled. That suited Fig perfectly. It would have been a cool home, I thought, turning to look at the Sohegan. The outbuilding in front of me would be knocked down, I assumed, to clear the view, and it was a damn good view, especially this time of year, with white mountains runoff rushing and forest as far as you could see. The thing was, though, this house never would be finished— the framing and the site had ran out of dough written all over them. The two-by and the presswood flooring were warped and grayed by weather. The electricians had started their rough-in, but had up and quit, disgusted one day, leaving a spool of cable. To my right, at the edge of the woods, a three-foot-tall stack of additional presswood, probably for second-story flooring that never got installed, sat waterlogged, a blue tarpaulin having blown off months ago. It was easy to see why Tander Fig had stopped bragging about his dream house. I called his name, quieting bugs and frogs for a few seconds. Called again with a question mark at the end this time. Then... I turned to the shack, thinking this couldn't be where he lived. He'd said he was living at the construction site in a guest house, but this was more like an outbuilding. Twelve feet by twenty, built over the bank of the Sohegan. There were no windows on the narrow side I was looking at, and the two good-sized windows on the front were boarded up. The door, a rough-cut plank job with a Z-brace, sagged open. I called Fig's name again.
nothing. Over the years, the woods had closed in too much for any river breeze to chase bugs away. Mosquitoes sniffed me out and strafed me. Underfoot, it was dank clay, not like most New England soil. I stooped, picked up a handful, looked at the river, figured things out. I bet there had been a house here years before, a nice home, a river house like the one Fig had begun. But the original house was built too close to the Sohegan. It wouldn't take much rain to push the river bank up there. After a couple hundred years, whoever owned the house got tired of cleaning up after floods and abandoned the place. If I walked ten yards past the stack of presswood, I'd probably find the remains of that house. The outbuilding had to be a mill or storage shed. It survived because it was built on brick piers, high enough to stand clear of most floods. If Tander Fig lived here, he had fallen further, faster, than any of us knew, and was too proud to tell anybody, to ask for help. I stepped toward the shack and spotted something odd on the downriver side. I checked it out and saw a couple of toothed wheels, cast iron, the bigger one as large as a hula hoop. Click. Back when the original house stood, they likely used the river for power, making their own electricity. The outbuilding was a primitive generator. Good idea. I shoved open the sagging door, called Fig's name again. Nothing. I stepped in, felt the floor sag, not creak, but sag beneath me, and thought how easy it'd be to drop straight through into the river. Inside, it was dark as hell. I paused, let my eyes adjust. I wrinkled my nose at the smell. Your grandfather's basement multiplied by ten. It seemed you could reach for anything in this room, tear off a chunk, and ball it up like a sponge. I thought all this for maybe twenty seconds, slowly turning clockwise, finally looking past the door to the north side. Tander Fig was hanging from a stub of cast-iron pipe that came through the wall.